Oldrum again with a podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. <clears throat> Sugar-free Red Bull to start the day. This episode is a bonus beat. Um, I will be talking about Jurassic World Dominion towards the end of the episode. It doesn't really fall into the into the movies I talk about, which is movies based on video games, um, comic books, but it is, uh, you know, a big movie, a geek movie, I guess, movie that people are talking about, and I watched it in theaters yesterday with my wife, and I'm going to talk about it, but that's at the end of the episode. Um, right at the top, um, I want to talk about the Ghost Town podcast. So I've mentioned many times before that I, over the years, I have become a very hard podcast listener. The first podcast I listened to was Mousetalgia, a Disneyland, a Disney podcast. Uh, I don't know. I was just looking to listen to hear some Disney goodness, I guess. And I like the four hosts. I like their banter. I like their chemistry, and it was fun. They it was it turned into a well-made podcast. Then over time, I just got too depressed and too cynical to be listening to a Disney podcast. So I started listening to Smodcast for a long while, hosted by Scott Mosier and Kevin Smith, and then you know I found my favorite murder. I liked it at first a lot, and then they mentioned We'll See You in Hell, and then it was all over. I just listened to We'll See You in Hell on loop since 2016. And every now and then, I try to break away from that pattern. And probably my, I would consider probably my second favorite podcast is Ghost Town Podcast, hosted by Rebecca Lieb and Jason Horton. And they're really, well, they're one out of maybe three podcasts where I listen to the whole catalog. Um, Not nearly as often as I do with We'll See You in Hell, but I go back and listen to the old episodes. Another one is Ghost, Ghosting Around, hosted by John Kaysen and Kathleen DeRose. That one's a really fun one, but that one's defunct unfortunately, but it's fun. Ghost Town Podcast, I really love the early episodes. Um, They're very funny. The conversations were free-flowing, and they kind of let themselves go on tangents. They talk about Rebecca's dating life, which I, I really thought was interesting and I liked. And, um... You know, the thing is, they would go to the the Apple reviews, right? You know, and then the Apple reviews would say, I wish they would stick to the story, stick to the facts. I don't want to hear about Rebecca's dating life. I don't want to hear about their personal lives. But that's an opinion. So if you don't like to hear that stuff, then you're probably not going to like the show. Because if you want to hear the facts, you could look it up online. You could um, 
read a Wikipedia article if that's the case. And, you know, they've said a few times before on the podcast, like, the thing that makes their po- this podcast theirs is their personal takes, their opinions, their theories, their speculations, and their personal stories. That's what makes it unique to them. And I, I really think that they, they wanted to please everyone, so they just started. Unfortunately, they they started adhering to the people who in my opinion, weren't truly fans to begin with. They were criticizers. And there's nothing wrong with criticizing, but if you're a podcast and you adhere to the people that don't even really like your podcast, then you're trying to please everyone, and I don't think that works. So I I still listen to the new episodes, and I'll admit, and you know, I'm I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying not trying to throw shade at Jason or Rebecca because I still like them a lot. But I don't enjoy the new episodes nearly as much as I do the f- uh, first maybe year of the podcast. And the newer episodes are so they're so dry, and it's. It's usually Rebecca reading, which, you know, I know people like that. People enjoy that. Just like stick to the story, stick to the facts, stick to the truth or whatever. And it's just her reading for the most part. And in the middle, they have a break. And still, they talk about Apple Podcasts. People hate the break. They're like, why is there a break in the middle where they they chat in the middle? But that's my favorite part, you know, because I want to hear them not reading. I want to hear them speak freely from the heart. And even when they have a break in the middle, they, they take care of business. It's very short. And, you know, they thank their, they have the podcast tiers, the Patreon tiers. They thank their like mayors and the governor, which is fine. But they they barely chat with each other. And that's what I really missed and really loved about the podcast. And those early episodes of Ghost Town, they really make me laugh. And I've become a very hard laugh. I don't laugh at anything. My heart and soul are absolutely dead and destroyed. So that's not an easy feat. And for them, you know, it's just gone. And it's kind of a bummer for me because... Like I said, it's probably my second favorite podcast, and just not. I I want I I like to laugh, and I almost never do. You know, people people online are like last podcast on the left. Uh, I've tried so many. It's it's basically the Big Bang Theory of podcasts to me. I've tried so many times to listen to that podcast i cannot get into it i don't think it's funny it doesn't make me laugh um i haven't listened to my favorite murder in a decade if it's been around a decade i don't know maybe it hasn't yet but so ghost town like it it doesn't really make me laugh anymore unfortunately the newer episodes um 
occasionally they'll have like a, a mini episode where it's a free-flowing conversation between the two of them. And it's fine, but it's not like the early episodes. It's just kind of a bummer. So like every, I don't know, six months or or so, maybe eight months or a year, I don't know, I'll listen to the old episodes of Ghost Town and I just really enjoy it. And they just let the conversation go wherever it wants to go. And they'll talk about, they'll plug their projects. This is another thing. Um, I think COVID had a lot to do with it. And I think during that year, things got serious. Things got depressing. And, you know, Rebecca Lieb and Jason Horton were comedians or are comedians. I'm not sure because... You know, for that whole year, they I'm sure they didn't perform. And I, I emailed them once. I think Jason replied and I told them, you know, I love the old format. And the, basically he said, you know, we try to please everyone. Actually, I, I don't want to speak for him. I don't remember what he said, but I wish they would go back to the old format. And they won't, cause they're. I feel like they're too far gone. But I'm, I'm happy for them that their their podcast has grown, and a lot of people like the new format. I. It's just I like the old format way better, significantly better. And I. I think that's. It's just gone. But the old episodes are still there to be enjoyed. Like my. I well, I just recommend starting from the beginning. And going from there, it's very, it's really fun. They're funny and they're funny. And you hear about these big comedians, you know, who with these big comedy specials and these big followings and they, they don't make me laugh. They just don't. And Rebecca Lieb is, I will say not a popular comedian. I don't think she is, but she's hilarious. She's very funny. She's a female comedian who makes me laugh, and she should be talked about, and she isn't. Not well. I'm I'm not on social media, so I don't know. But um, and I'm I'm not saying I'm some unique bastard who's like, oh, she made Edmund laugh, so she should be big. I I, I didn't mean it that way. It's just I don't know. And Jason Horton, I know he was big on YouTube for a while. But he's he's hilarious too. He should be talked about. Uh, so I don't know. And I wouldn't even call their um, podcast a comedy podcast at this point. They're more a you know true crime, strange history, ghostly, weird, strange history podcast, which is fine. And I think that's what people want from them. But I man, I highly suggest. Like Action Park is, <laughs> they're just they're just talking about the the sad hard truths of the podcast, and they can't help but laugh because it, it's like that dark gallows humor of like <laughs> gas seeping out from the rides, um, pelting employees with tennis balls. It was a mess. It's tragic, and people died. But listening to the episode is very funny. So, I highly, I've said that 
probably 80 billion times at this point. Um, I, I repeat myself because I'm not good at speaking. I'm not eloquent. Um, I don't enunciate my words. I should, but I don't. So go go back and listen to the early um, episodes of the podcast. I, I still listen to the new ones. You know, Rebecca talked about one about a Philippine a Filipino folklore. And I, show, I, I, I showed it to my wife because my wife was born and raised in the Philippines. And she kept, Rebecca kept saying, Mananangal. And I guess the Filipino pronunciation is Mananangal. And my wife kept saying like, oh, she's so cute. Um, it was a fun episode. But, but again, it's just her speaking. Like, go back, go back to the conversational. I mean, the podcast, this chair is fucking squeaky. The podcast formula that works for me, it's usually two people who are funny, who have good chemistry, and that's it. That's all you need. Um, I don't, I don't really care about the subject of the podcast. I usually am there for the hosts. Um, but there you have it for the news beat. I was looking online. I couldn't find anything interesting that I even wanted to, there, there was one headline. Will the new Ant-Man feature the young, um, members of the Avengers with, along with Kang. And I was like, who the fuck is Kang? Is that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles villain? But I believe that's Krang. I believe that's Krang. So Newsbeat, I, I don't know. I couldn't. I'm kind of tired this morning. It's six twelve a.m. on a Thursday morn, July seventh, twenty twenty of two. And you know, I hope this episode finds everyone well. Probably not, though. I bet you're more depressed than I am, if that's possible. I want to talk about Metroid in the gaming beat. The gaming beat is the segment of this podcast where I talk about what I've been playing lately. And I want to talk about my personal history with the Metroid series, if you will. You can't do anything about it. Sit your ass down. Shut the fuck up and listen to me talk about Metroid. So I I got to the Metroid series late in the game. I want to say when I was mid-20s to late-20s maybe. Maybe 24. Who cares, you know? But I was born in the 80s, so... You know, I was born right when Super Mario Brothers came out. Um, legend, the original Legend of Zelda, the original Metroid, and you know, I I respect what those games did. Of course, I admire what they did. They were obviously hugely influential in you know contributing to the game industry, and elements of those games are still brought to games of this day, of this day, of today, which, um, 
is admirable. It's an incredible feat that they accomplished in the mid-80s, bringing those video games to life. And, you know, if I can't play... You know, I didn't like the original Legend of Zelda back then. As a kid, it was always very difficult. I couldn't figure, figure out where I was. I don't. I have no interest in playing it now, because I might try it just out of curiosity, but I'm sure I would get frustrated and um, just give up easily. And the same goes for Metroid. It's a very difficult game. I, I, you know, there's. I don't think there's a map, or if there is, I probably couldn't read it even now. So Metroid, I never got into that original one. I never got into. Super Mario Brothers is like the strange one where you could you could still play that now and it's still super fun. Um, it's kind of more simple. You're kind of just running and jumping, but it's still very fun. That that's a strange thing. Like Legend of Zelda wasn't for me at least. It wasn't fun back then. I probably couldn't play it now. Same goes for Metroid. Super Mario Brothers is the exception. That original one is still fun to play. Um, Super Metroid, I discovered, like I said, you know, maybe when I was 24. Late in the game, for sure. And I loved it. I just really loved it. I love the game mechanics. Um, I love how it spawned the along with Castlevania, the, the Metroidvania, uh, f- not franchise, Metroidvania category of games. And I, I should replay it, but I really loved it. And I loved it so much that I was really anticipating Metroid Samus Returns. And I purchased Metroid Samus Returns. And I loved it so much that I proceeded to buy the special edition 3DS XL of Metroid. Um, I don't know if it's called Metroid Special Edition, but it's kind of red. And you could see the design of Samus on the front. It's, it's one of my prized possessions. Even though... Jesus Christ, I think one of my dogs just croaked either that or she killed one of my kittens i guess i'll find out later you know um that was a mysterious sound anyway i don't touch the my 3ds nearly as much as my switch these days i think that applies to most people but that 3ds special edition is definitely one of my prized possessions and I will say, Metroid Samus Returns is probably, no, not probably, is my favorite Metroid game. And I, I think that would be blasphemous for some. Um, I remember watching a Metal Jesus Rocks video, and he mentioned he was a little disappointed with Metroid Samus Returns, which surprised me. And he says something like he didn't like the game mechanics or something like that. And I was like, what the fuck? The game mechanics are my favorite part of the game. I just love Metroid Samus Returns. It's 
you know, it's like it's like um, Super Metroid, but a thousand times better, in my opinion, just in terms of like graphics and stuff. I I can't think of why I can't think for the life of me. That's a weird phrase. Why you wouldn't just bring Metroid Samus Returns to the Switch? You know, I imagine it can't be that hard. I have no idea, though. Um, I'm not a fucking programmer. But, you know, one good reason of owning the Wii U at this point is that on the on my Wii U, I have Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission. And those games are super fun as well. Although, I would put them at a rung below Super Metroid. So here, here's my tier of Metroid games. At the tippity top is Metroid Samus Returns. Slightly lower than that is Super Metroid. And then slightly lower than that is Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission. And then, you know, at the biggity-biggity bottom is original Metroid and Metroid 2 for the Game Boy in black and white, I believe, which I, you know, I played a few seconds of out of curiosity and then stopped. Um, I've never owned a Game Boy Advance, but I am, you know, I was happy that I got to play them on the Wii U and that's like I said, that's one great benefit of owning the Wii U at this point. Because I don't know how else you could play those games outside of owning a Game Boy Advance and owning those games. Which brings us to Metroid Dread. So, actually, I'll briefly talk about Metroid Prime. Metroid Prime is not my thing, unfortunately. And I know that would be blasphemous to a lot of people because they're very praised and people love those. People are excited about Metroid Prime 4. I, I bought the trilogy on, I think, the Wii U. Either the Wii U or the Wii. Um, I, I don't... I First-person shooters are not my thing. They're just not. And, you know, I think people can understand that. You know, you you just have your game genres that you gravitate towards and some that you just don't like. I tried it. I just don't like the format. Um, It made me kind of dizzy. (laughs) Which is kind of a weird thing to say. Like, you play games and first-person shooters make you dizzy? Like, what? And especially in a world where... You know, people loved your Call of Duties and all this stuff. I just, it's not my thing. Um, so, Metroid Prime. Will, will I check out Metroid Prime 4? Probably. I'm, I'm not excited for it at all. Unfortunately. Sadly for me. Um, I highly recommend, because I think it was in Super Metroid. Either... Um, yeah, I think Super Metroid, where at the end, spoiler alert, if you haven't played Super Metroid, at the end of the game, 
she's fighting the final boss and the the big metroid comes and she like saves samus i think and the the bad guy ends up destroying the metroid i apologize if i'm getting the facts wrong i my memory's trash as you know anyway that was done doing super nes graphics there's essentially like i always thought man that would be so cool if you could do that in modern technology graphics and they did it in metroid other m which i believe got pretty bad reviews but it's a wii game but you could you could just look up this the cutscene on youtube just look up like metroid other m cutscene and it looks awesome like they went full out on the cutscene and it's very cool it's very cool so metroid prime not my thing and now it brings us to metroid dread they announced it on probably a nintendo direct and i was super excited i really was because it was essentially a, a game in the style of metroid samus returns but on the switch using you know switch technology and and all that jazz so um i pre-ordered the special edition i couldn't even tell you what it comes with actually maybe i could probably an art book and a steel book i pre-ordered it for i don't know 80 dollars maybe and there was a little controversy at that time like is it worth 60 is it worth 80 and then i mentioned on a comment i pre-ordered it and then someone was like you're the problem with this industry you allow them to charge what they want and i was like is is my not pre-ordering it going to change anything fuck you fuck off i didn't say any of that i just said i wanted it and i pre-ordered it thank you have a good night um anyway the game came finally I played a few seconds of it, and then I put it down. Here's why. Uh, I, I can only say my brain is fragile at this point. My mind is fragile. You know, I suffer from depression, anxiety, all that jazz. Da, 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 da. And I played it, and I got chased by a, an Emmy robot, and it terrified me. <laughs> so I put it down. And my friend, Germsboro, he can, I guess he can see when I'm online and what I'm playing on the Switch. And he's like, what happened to Metroid Dread? Because I guess he saw I played it for a little bit and then put it down. And he's like, and I told him, I got chased by this thing and it freaked me out and I put it down. And he was like, oh, I understand that. Like, uh, these days I just want to play something to get my mind off things and relax. And I can imagine most people being like, you fucking pussy, go go play Animal Crossing. Um, I'm not against playing Animal Crossing. You know, I bought Animal Crossing for my wife. I thought she would like it. And she played it for a little bit and just couldn't get into it. Um, you know, she's kind of a bitch, you know. 
um she she's not much of a gamer but she's been asking about it because she got me a switch light which i i love her i shouldn't say that on the podcast i regret saying that i love her on the podcast. i've never said it to her face so why should i say it on the podcast but I don't know why she got me a Switch Lite. I I love that she did. I love that I own it, but I have she bought me the original Switch, so like why do I need the Switch Lite? Um and I don't play it that much because I have my regular Switch, you know. <laughs> but she's been asking like where's the other Switch and I keep telling her it's mine. You got it for me. It's mine. And I think she wants to try Animal Crossing again, but we'll see. What were we talking about? Metroid Dread. So years have passed. I I don't. I guess Metroid Dread came out in 2021, and I just I played it for a few seconds, put it down. And uh, by the way, Last of Us is considered one of the best games ever made. I own Last of Us one and two. I've never played two. I can't get through one because the game scares me. The far the furthest the farthest slash furthest I've gotten is you're in some sort of parking garage and you have to get through a bunch of those whatever zombie walker things and I can't do it. They scare me. They freak me out. So it really is The Last of Us because in my version of the game, they all die. They're all still in that parking garage. You know, I have a joke whenever I go to L.A., to the anim- to the L.A. Convention Center. My joke is um, taking pictures, taking video of L.A. and being like, you know, I thought that I, I thought that I entered the set of The Last of Us movie. But it turns out it's just L.A. So Metroid Dread. Um, the other day I, you know, I got home from work. I my brain was scattered. I I won't say I couldn't sleep. I will say I didn't want to sleep. It was one of those things. I got home after work, super tired took a shower, got into bed, didn't want to sleep. I'm like, I don't want to waste a day. I, I want to play something. But it's that, it's that thing where I don't know what to play. I don't know what to watch. Like nothing can hit the spot of whatever I'm looking for. So I tried, like I, I looked up Metroidvania on the eShop. I downloaded a few games. Um... And finally, I'm like, you know, I tried Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, and I'm like, it's not hitting the spot. So I finally tried Metroid Dread again, and it finally hit. It And it hit me hard. And I'm like, oh, this is exactly... Jeez, that sounded weird. Oh, it sounded like... It, it's exactly what I wanted at that moment and i went in metroid dread hard and i love it um i'm not exactly sure how far i am at this point i've been playing it for a few days but 
I feel like I'm nearing the end, although there's still a ton of items that I haven't gotten. And it feels like I'm close to the surface, because um, let me tell you a little bit about the Metroid game. Because, you know, a lot of the, especially Nintendo, a lot of these games follow a specific formula. For example, Super Mario Brothers. Um, at the beginning of the game, it's usually Super Mario Brothers are like having a tea party or something. And then Bowser comes and kidnaps the princess. So Mario has to go on this adventure to rescue her. That's that's the basic formula of every game. It's not really strong in the story department, if I'm being honest. Which it doesn't really matter because the gameplay is so fun. And Legend of Zelda kind of ups the story aspect. But they still follow a specific formula. Where um, Link has to go on this adventure, collecting the, you know, traveling to different lands, collecting these whatever stones or whatever, and then um, rescue the princess from Ganon. There's a basic formula that works uh, practically every time. And in Metroid, if I'm not mistaken, almost every game is like, at the beginning of the game, she's fully powered. She has a fully powered suit with all these abilities, like turning into a morph ball, um, wall jumps, double jumps, uh, speed, grapple arms, all these abilities. And then she has to go to a planet for whatever reason, and her her suit all of her, she loses all her abilities due to some, like a crash landing or whatever. So the basic premise of the, of the game is you have to travel through this planet and get all your abilities back. And I, I just love the game. Um, the, the thing about the game in my brain is that it can get difficult. Um, I remember a moment in Super Metroid where you have to like run back and forth and then press down at the exact spot and then shoot upwards. And if you're off by an inch, you can't get through this path or you can't get a certain item. I don't I don't care for that kind of stuff. Um, it's cool in theory, but there's no way I'm going to figure that out without a walkthrough. And... In Metroid Dread, so far I have not used any sort of walkthrough. I haven't looked anything up, which is good, and it's a good sign for me. Although, like, if I shut the, if I turn off the game for five minutes, and then start it up again, I, I get completely lost. I'm like, I don't remember what I was doing. I don't remember where to go. And it can get frustrating, but it's also part of the charm and part of the the coolness factor of the game because you got to figure things out. You have to retread and retread and retread. Um, but I'm really loving it, and it's so it's so fun and so satisfying to get new abilities and revisit areas you've been before, but there is some sort of blockage that you couldn't access before, but now you can because you have a new ability. And, 
You know, at first, the Emmy robots freaked me out because they chase you and they're super powerful. So the only options you have are to hide or run away. Um, And eventually you get this phantom cloak that's basically like a Harry Potter invisibility cloak. But if if the Emmy robot runs into you, you're you're fucked. There is an option where you can block its attack, but it's very difficult. And um, eventually I got to a part where um, you meet an ally and the ally deactivates all the Emmy robots. And you're like kind of like, phew. But then at the same time, you're like, maybe if I defeated all the Emmy robots, I would see some kind of secret cutscene or something. But then I got to a part where this ex-parasite possessed um, the the former ally. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. An ex-parasite possesses the former ally who died and then reactivates the Emmy robots. So... I really love the game. Um, I don't. I still think, as of right now, I probably like Metroid: Samus Returns more than this one. Just, you know, it's hard to top that one because I loved it so much. But we'll see. I haven't finished it yet. I've been talking like thirty minutes about Metroid. It's fine, in my opinion. It's fine. But I highly recommend Metroid Dread. I I hope they make a million more of these games in this format. Because um, like I said, first person isn't doing it for me. And that is the basic um, format of the original game of Super Metroid. And people obviously love it. Metroid Dread is the highest selling Metroid game. Is that true? Is that... Did it outsell uh, Metroid, the Metroid Prime? Let me look that up. All right, I Googled it. Um, Google brought me a website called steamplayers.com. And the headline is, Metroid Dread sales past those of Metroid Prime. Um... This means there's a brand new gross sales hallmark for Metroid Dread, and it seems prefer it. What the fuck? It seems prefer it beat previous. Oh god. Um. Anyway, Metro Metroid Prime was at two point eight two million copies sold, and Metroid Dread is at two point nine million copies bought worldwide um i i love this and i you know nothing against metroid prime i you know it's not for me but i am happy for i'm happy for the fans that metroid prime is successful but i just hope that nintendo sees this and Metroid Dread is a game that was released in 2021. It did well. It became the highest grossing Metroid um, game. And I hope they... 
I hope they realize like people want a 2D slash 3D, whatever you call it. Uh, I don't even know the terminology. Platforming, whatever, adventure, action adventure game. Because um, to me, well, I don't have a, I don't have a pulse. I don't have any sort of finger on the pulse in terms of gaming news or anything. I, I'm, I live in a bubble, a Metroid bubble, if you will, and I'm happy in my Metroid bubble. But it feels at this point that the the 2D Metroid format is kind of an underdog to the Metroid Prime because Metroid Prime got a trilogy and they're met- making a Metroid F- Prime 4. And um, Metroid Dread is the first original, like, uh, platforming 2D whatever since I think Metroid Fusion which is how long ago was that 2002 so that's um, 19 years so Metroid Dread is a um, sequel to Metroid Fusion um, I'm trying to look at the phrase it is the first original side-scrolling Metroid game since Metroid Fusion. And Metroid Fusion came out in 2002. I hope you guys enjoy me using the, the calculator app on this podcast. 2021 minus 2020. Oh, God. You would think a grown-ass adult would know how to subtract 2021 minus 20, 2002 without having to use a calculator yet here we are 19 years so so in between the 19 years maybe i'm getting my timeline incorrect but prime metroid prime got a full trilogy and it took him 19 years to make a, a sequel to metroid fusion i hope nintendo's like oh People must want a Metroid, a 2D side-scrolling platformer Metroid. Anyway, let's move on. Um, sorry if that was boring. Sorry if my interests and passions bore you. I'm sorry. All right, I apologize. You know, I'm trying my best here. That's not true. It's simply not true. Um, Edmund's sad stuff, don't tell my wife, but I purchased a PS Vita. Um, I was curious about it. I got it. I'm not even sure what games I want for it, but I'm excited. And you should be too. Let's move on to um, Jurassic World Dominion. Jurassic. What about Cretaceous World? You know? I think this movie is racist against other dinosaur periods. You know? Why is it focused on Jurassic? Is my question. 
Jurassic World Dominion is a 2022 American science fiction action film directed by Colin Trevorrow, who co-wrote the screenplay with Emily Carmichael. Um, where to begin with this fucking movie? Let's start with Colin Trevorrow. Um, let's look at his filmography. Um, reality show, documentary, never, um, heard of it. Safety not guaranteed. I didn't realize that he directed it. I did not like Safety Not Guaranteed only because, Jesus Christ, the film received critical acclaim for the performances, screenplay, and Trevor Rose direction since its released since its release, it's been hailed as one of the most influential films of the 2010s. I did not like Safety Not Guaranteed. The main reason is because I thought Mark Duplass played a fucking weirdo in this movie. Um, and he was he was saying, I... He wants to go back in time. And I didn't like that Aubrey Plaza was kind of falling for his shtick. And she was kind of like being nice to him. I'm like, this guy's a fucking weirdo. Um, That's what I... I mean, that's what I took from the movie. Apparently, most people disagree. 91% approval rating. Um, So, Jurassic World... I actually liked a lot. Um... And at this point, I know I I hate on Chris Pratt a lot. But Jurassic World was before I hated Chris Pratt. And I actually liked him a lot in that movie. Um, I like Bryce Dallas Howard. And Jurassic World, I thought was very fun. And let me see how... um, So Jurassic World came out in 2015... I'm curious to see when um, Jurassic Park 3 came out, 2001. So there was a 14-year gap between Jurassic Park 3 and Jurassic World. Um, Who is Joe Johnston? Um, I don't know. He made Captain America the First Avenger. Directed. I should say. So I like Jurassic World. You know, I'll, I'll get a little more into that later. Um, Jurassic World 2, Fallen Kingdom. I liked less than Jurassic World. I, um, I can barely remember it. I know Pat Walsh described it as a haunted house with dinosaurs. And I guess rich people were bidding on dinosaurs to do whatever they want with them, either, you know, just to own as pets or to study or to research or to turn as in weapons. I don't I don't remember. Um, I remember there was a sad brontosaurus scene, I think. And I like, you know, I like Daniela Pineda. Um... You know, we talked about her on 
Cowboy when I talked about Cowboy Bebop, which uh, to this day I still have not seen episode 9 and 10 of Cowboy Bebop live action on Netflix. I will say that um where's the fucking cast? Um Wiki Wikipedia. I hated just this was my introduction to Justice Smith. I hated his character in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I I remember hoping that his character would die a terrible dinosaur death. And then when I when I first saw his character enter the frame in Jurassic World Dominion, I was highly disappointed to find out that his character survived. Uh, maybe that's a little cruel. Who cares? You know? Who cares? So Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. You know, I forgot about that whole cloning plot. And I couldn't describe it uh, if you had a gun to my head. Um, I just, I couldn't, I forgot about that whole um, plot line. So let's get to Jurassic World Dominion. This movie is not good, and it amazes me that a movie with like this big of a cast, this much money behind it, $185 million budget, I mean, look at this, you have Colin Trevorrow, who is a big director at this point, who he was slated to write and direct the the ninth Star Wars movie before whatever happened. He I don't remember if he left or they took him off and replaced him with J.J. Abrams. Um, so it's a big director attached to this. You know, he the movies made a lot of movie Jurassic World one and two. And you have, look at this cast, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum, Sam Neill. Um, so you have a killer cast. You have the cast from the original Jurassic Park movie. You have a lot riding on this uh threequel or whatever you call it sequel movie i don't understand how this movie can be this bad at this point and i you know i don't think it's low effort i don't think they were making out trying to make a bad movie um i i don't understand how so much writing on this movie and it could be this bad you know i will say I was tired when I watched the movie. I didn't fall asleep, um, and I didn't want to fall asleep. So it was, it wasn't quote unquote that bad. My wife did fall asleep, and I didn't blame her. I believe she fell asleep at the point where, you know, the they go to Malta, and there's kind of a, a chase scene with. Um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard Claire is with DeWanda Wise, Kayla. They're in a truck trying to go to the plane. 
and Chris Pratt's on his magic motorcycle, of course. And she fell asleep. I'm like, good on you. You know, cheers. Um, you know, I asked my wife about it and she's like, you know, it's not really, it's not fun. It's not really exciting. Um, it's kind of boring. There's just, I don't know. There's something extremely lacking about the movie. It felt, I, I told my brother that it felt, um, overstuffed overcrowded, bloated, padded, uh, convoluted. It just, I I don't know. It's I'm almost in disbelief that at this point in this franchise it f- I I don't think it was low effort, but it felt kind of low effort. And if I had to blame something, I would blame the writing. Because obviously the actors can act, you know, and at this point, and at, at the same time, you know, you're 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 acting against tennis balls or whatever, and the dinosaurs are kind of doing most of the quote unquote acting in the movie, I guess. But you know that these actors can act. But uh, one character I really didn't care for was. Campbell Scott, who I believe played uh, Dr. Richard Parker in The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. He was taking some weird, bold risks in this performance that did not pay off at all. He was just completely weird to me in this movie. I didn't like him. I didn't like his character. I didn't like his performance. And he's basically playing Richard Parker if he was a bad guy, you know, a scientist type. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of this, I, I wish there was more Daniela Pineda in the movie. Um, I was happy to see her. And, I, you know, I will say that, um, what's his face? Justice Smith wasn't nearly as annoying in this movie as he was in Fallen Kingdom. And the same goes for Chris Pratt. Like, Chris Pratt was surprisingly inoffensive to me in this movie. And, you know, I told my brother, in Ghostbusters Afterlife, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, you know, the original cast of the Ghostbusters appear at the end of Ghostbusters Afterlife. And it's it almost feels like uh, an afterthought. They should have called it Ghostbusters Afterthought. <sighs> it almost felt like a little tacked on. You know, they were barely in it. Even though it was fun to see them in it, for sure. And in this, in this movie, they try the opposite approach, where I would almost say that Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Sam Neill... They are not only starring in this movie on par with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. They, I would almost say they have bigger roles than Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard in this movie. 
And I don't think that's what we wanted either. So I don't think we like the tacked on approach of Ghostbusters Afterthought. But I also don't think we wanted this on par, bigger role in Jurassic Jurassic World Dominion. And I don't I don't blame the actors for that at all. Again, I just think it comes down to the writing. So the screenplay was done by Emily Carmichael and Colin Trevorrow. Emily Carmichael, um, she was born in 1982, and the picture that they have on Wikipedia, she looks... We should probably move on already before I say anything inappropriate. She is an attractive lady. Um, who is she? Who is this lady? Uh, <laughs> let me look at her filmography. She did a bunch of stuff that is not clickable on Wikipedia. Um, short film, short film. And then 2018, she wrote Pacific Rim Uprising, which I did not see. No interest. She wrote Battle at Big Rock, which I've never heard of. It's a 2019 short film directed by Colin Trevorrow, part of the Jurassic Park franchise. Um, that's weird. Um, I've never even heard that this existed. And then she co-wrote this Jurassic World Dominion along with Colin Trevorrow. Derek Connolly wrote, contributed this story. He has collaborated with Trevorrow on, um... A handful of projects. Um, Star Wars The Rise of... You know, I was thinking that after... I know that there is a, a script online. Um, let me let me see if I could find it. Um, Trevor o. There is a script online. Oh, here it is. Star Wars Duel of the Fates. Is that it? The original draft of the third film in the Star Wars sequel trilogy. So I haven't, you know, I've I've glimpsed through that. I haven't read through it thoroughly. There is the original script that Colin Trevorrow wrote for the third or for the ninth Star Wars film. And people were, you know, people were really disappointed in the rise of Skywalker. Um, I wasn't. I kind of liked the movie. I need to rewatch it. And so they were like, they need to film. They want the Colin Trevorrow cut. Release the Trevorrow cut. But after, and I, I don't know. I haven't read the, through the script, like I said. But after watching Jurassic World Dominion, I think... I feel like fans would be relieved that they didn't hand over the ninth film to Colin Trevorrow. Um, that's how I feel. I 
again, I don't know how it's possible to make a film this bad. The sixth Jurassic Park movie. I, I don't even know how to crack into the movie. Like I've talked about the cast, the director. L- let's try to let's try to crack into the plot of this movie. The movie opens with um, Claire, along with Daniela Pineda and Justice Smith. Uh, Claire and Daniela Pineda are they're going to an illegal like dinosaur breeding facility and they try to save a what looks to be a sick baby triceratops and they like steal the baby triceratops or whatever i'm not going to get any of these dinosaur names uh correct i'm just going to say that right now i'm not a fucking paleontologist okay and then um, they and then Justice Smith is like no 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 like uh, Abbott and Const- Abbott and Costello is that it? And so they steal this baby. They rescue this baby tri- sick Triceratops, and they tell her, "I understand you're doing the right thing. I un- I understand what you want to do, but this isn't the way to do it." And Clara's like, "I know." Um, and then that's, I feel like that was it for Claire and her ties to the dinosaurs because the rest of her character arc and plot arc for the rest of the movie has nothing to do with dinosaurs at all because for the rest of the movie, all she wants to do, well, again, this kid who isn't their daughter she is uh, this is so fucking convoluted this is um so first of all i don't know who this girl's grandfather is why didn't they just make her related to um john hammond you know John Hammond. Let me look at. Uh, so. Why didn't they just make her related to John Hammond? Because she's not related to John Hammond. She's m- related to her grandfather Lockwood. And this girl died. So she thinks that she was cloned. It's so confusing, and it's so stupid. Anyway, so this girl, um, Claire and Owen, are hiding her out in some cabin because people want to get at her for her DNA because she was cloned under mysterious-slash-dangerous circumstances, and people want to get at her and study her. So she's hiding. they're hiding her out. And then she ends up getting kidnapped. Who also gets kidnapped is um, Blue's child, child dinosaur. Blue is a velociraptor, as you remember from Jurassic World. Blue's really kind of the star of the show, in my opinion, at least in that first Jurassic World movie. 
she now has a kid through immaculate conception, I guess. She didn't require a partner to bear a baby, but she has a little baby. And the baby Velociraptor gets kidnapped along with Maisie Lockwood. So for the rest of the movie, Claire's character arc has nothing to do with dinosaurs. She wa- she just wants to get her quote-unquote daughter back. And it's not really her daughter. It's a clone little girl. And that's also what Owen wants to do. Owen wants to get his quote-unquote daughter back. Meanwhile, a large chunk of this movie is dedicated to mutated crickets or mutated grasshoppers. Let's just call them mutated locusts or locusts. And (laughs) I will say that the first scene where there's a bunch of locusts chasing after these two kids, I immediately started laughing. I was like, look at these two dumbass kids running from a bunch of grasshoppers. And they're like screaming and crying for their lives. And I was laughing. (laughs) It reminds me of a video I saw online a while back of a a young boy in the... A young boy in a McDonald's play area, and he's stuck in there alone, and there's all these birds that are coming in to attack him, and he's screaming and trying to shoo them away, and he's like, hey, get out of here, or whatever, and I'm sure it was traumatic and terrible, but also it made me laugh to this day, and... So a large chunk of this movie is dedicated to these mutated gigantic locusts that are that are eating all the crops. They're devastating these crops. But surprisingly, they don't devastate the rich people's crops who plant biosyn seeds. Um, what an interesting and creative name, biosyn. And then so Laura Dern comes to investigate and the the owner of the farm or whatever, she's like, we had no one else to call. And Laura Dern's like, well, yeah, they most people in my position with my expertise, they won't even come out if it's not related to dinosaurs. So Laura Dern's like, well, that's weird. I wonder if Biosyn has anything to do with these mutated gigantic locusts. So she contacts uh, Dr. Ellen Grant. Keep in mind, there's no sort of heroic entrance to the return of these iconic Jurassic Park heroes. They're kind of just there. They just show up on the screen. There's no... Maybe there was a slight swelling of music for Ellen Grant, but barely. And then, so that's... and then. Laura Dern goes over to Alan Grant and she's like, I need your help with these locusts. And he's like, sure, because he has no family. He has no attachments. He he is so desperate for sex that he's going to follow this woman to the ends of the earth. She's like, hey, you want to look at some crickets? And Dr. Alan Grant is like, oh, God, please. Yes, anything, anything you want. So they end up going to Biosyn 
and biosyn is this gigantic uh, whatever technology dinosaur dna facility in the mountains of italy i guess you have to get there by plane and subway apparently and uh, i don't know you you it's not easy to get there and laura dern got an invite from her old friend dr ian malcolm so she brings dr ellen grant whose balls are bluer than the ocean and they go over to biosyn and they meet up with uh jeff goldblum and i gotta say this scene with the 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 cappuccino scene was one of the weirdest scenes i've ever seen in a movie the cap the cappuccino machine is trying to make a cappuccino and it's loud and Jeff Goldblum tries to use this as a diversion to speak to Laura Dern. And Dr. Alan Grant is confused and he's talking to the cappuccino maker. And it, I think it's supposed to be funny, but it was just confusing. And the sound design was so terrible that I could barely understand what was going on in the scene. And so I guess Ian, Dr. Ian Malcolm... Um, infiltrated this facility because he is a renowned doctor and he is suspicious he's been suspicious of all this all along so he's trying to you know stop all these people from advancing in their dangerous future technologies and so he's trying to help dr ellie sattler and ellie sattler's um goal mission is trying to get dna from a locust inside of this facility so she can compare it with the dna of the locust she found outside and when they found find out that it's the same they know that biosyn is responsible and they're trying to control the food supply because if they can destroy all the crops but the rich people can keep their crops blah 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 yada 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 and uh, so when they kidnap this Maisie Lockwood they bring her to Biosyn because they want to study her and then Dr. Henry Wu shows up who I believe he was a bad guy in previous sequels and now apparently he's a good guy I, I don't remember um so Maisie Lockwood ends up at Biosyn, and um, she tries to escape, and she names Blue's daughter Beta, and then she runs into Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler, and they try to escape, and then meanwhile, Bryce Dallas Howard ends up in Malta. And she she meets an American in a dangerous place. And for some reason, she goes, you're American. I need your help. Uh, that scene was fucking bizarre. And they meet for two seconds. And um, Claire Deering is already spilling out her whole story to this woman. And then after two seconds... Kayla Watts decides to help her. 
that was a real logic hole for me and that really bothered me but that eventually was resolved later so i'll get to that later but at first they meet for two seconds and she's already like um she fall uh what's her name i can't get these names right claire is running away from these dinosaurs and she ends up um falling on a you know a truck and then Kayla says, hold on. And she immediately helps her. Um, I don't know why. I, I figured it out later. I mean, they showed you later. And then the thing with Chris Pratt and the hand. It's like, why is your raising your hand up going to stop a fucking dinosaur charging at you? You know, if you raise your hands a few degrees up, it's a Hitler salute. I bet that was their intention. Do you think Jurassic World is a hidden agenda for the for Hitler? You think so? Could be. I mean, they're raising their hands so hard. It's like it's almost like the Hunger Games three finger salute up in this bitch. Like I don't know. It was so weird. Like. Tyrannosaurus Rex charging at you. Hey, quick, everyone, raise your hand up timidly. Hiya! It's it's ridiculous. And then, um, so Owen and Claire end up on the plane along with Kayla, and they're trying to fly to Biosyn. Again, has nothing to do with dinosaurs. They just want to get their daughter back. And then eventually Kayla reveals, or like Owen asks her, why are you helping us or whatever? And she's like, you know, I used to do this thing purely for money. And then when I saw I saw your daughter, I saw them take your daughter. And when I saw her picture, I realized I couldn't do nothing. And I'm like, okay, fine. That cleared up the huge logic hole that I didn't like from before. And then... Here's the thing. I tried showing the original Jurassic Park to my wife. And she thought the beginning was very boring and we shut it off. I'm going to make her watch it again because... Maybe the beginning is slow, but... Obviously, the movie gets a lot better by the end. And it's directed by Steven Spielberg. I remember that movie being very good, very intense, um, very suspenseful, very scary at times. And in that movie, the way that movie was filmed, like, you feel the fear in every scene. The girl running from the dinosaurs, hiding in the car, the car... um, falling through the trees, you know, the huge, gigantic Trinosaurus eye looking at you in the car, the velociraptors running towards the reflection. It was very scary, very well done. In this movie, every time, it reminded me of the Transformers movies where every time humans were in peril, I would laugh and I would want them to die. That's just how I feel about um, I, al- I also felt the same in uh, Kong versus Godzilla. Every time humans were in peril, I would laugh and I would want them to die. 
and that's the same for Jurassic World Dominion. Um, every time crickets started going crazy, I would laugh. Whenever a dinosaur um, went face to face with a human, I would laugh. And I don't, I don't think that was the intention of those scenes. But that's the difference between Jurassic Park 1993, I believe, and Jurassic World Dominion 2022. Um, I don't, I don't think the movie was well done. I don't think it was good. I blame the writing mostly, and you know it's weird because the again this is a good director, so I don't know how or why this movie went south. And it also reminded me of like, I liked the show Community for a while. I thought it was funny, very creative. There's a lot of classic moments in that show. I remember watching, because they changed the format a bunch. That was kind of the charm of the show. And I remember watching a mockumentary episode. And it didn't make me laugh at all. And I started to feel sorry for the actors. I was like, man, these actors, they just got to say dogs barking they just gotta say what's on the page and they it's almost like you could see the tears behind their eyes like i don't want to say these words the script is bad but i am an actor and this is i i just gotta say the words on the page in order to get paid um and that's how i felt about this movie like these are good actors but they just got to say the words that are on the page in order to get paid. And I can just imagine them like thinking, man, the script is really bad, but what can we do? And then I can imagine the actors going to lunch, like lunch break. And they're like, man, what have we gotten ourselves into? Laura Dern, Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum. They're like, man, the script is really bad, but what can we do? They wanted us for this sixth movie in this uh prequel sequel trilogy um they really wanted us bad um what can we do and then jeff goldblum's like just keep your head down don't worry we're gonna get paid and then we can go back to being creative right after this uh don't worry about it i i can't do a fucking jeff goldblum um i apologize for that also interesting uh i don't know how to pronounce this name but daikin lackman who I recognize from uh, Dollhouse, Joss Whedon's TV show from 2009-2010. I didn't think... She wasn't a very good actor, unfortunately. Like, she, you know, she tried. I could see she was trying in Dollhouse. Fucking dogs. Jesus Christ. So I saw her in this movie, um, Daikin Lackman, and she played Soyona Santos, and I thought she was fine. You know, I it wasn't like an amazing performance, but I, I, I liked her in Dollhouse, even though I didn't think she was very good. I, for some reason, I don't know, I like her presence, I guess. And I was kind of happy that she still stuck it out and she's still working. And she got a part in this big movie. She's also in um, Baymax. 
I guess they have a TV. There's a TV show on Disney Plus. I wasn't sure if it was shorts or um, an actual TV show. Apparently, there was a Big Hero Six, the series, from 2017 to 2021. How did I miss this? Um. Anyway, so where where was I in the plot? So. Um, Dr. Ellie Sattler and Dr. Alan Grant and Maisie Lockwood escape from the facility. They're using this kind of subway thing. And then Dr. Lewis Dodgson shuts off the power, so they have to get out. So they're, you know, fighting through dinosaurs again. And then Dr. Lewis Dodgson fires Dr. Ian Malcolm, and then he leaves in a truck, and he's helped by Ramsey Cole. And Dr. Ian Malcolm gets in a a truck and ends up saving Dr. Ellie Sattler and Dr. Alan Grant and Maisie Lockwood. And then they they you know they fall they get in an accident. And then they they end up meeting up with Owen, Claire, and Kayla Watts. So now there's seven of them. I believe seven of them. You know, there's there's weird scenes like like I mentioned in Jurassic Park. You could feel the tension, like really feel the tension, like each second of like the dinosaur slowly walking past reflections and eyeballs close up on eyeballs and it was so well done in this movie like uh Claire and Dr. Ellie Sattler are trying to get to some sort of panel to press a button and there's like crickets and Dr. Ian Malcolm is like why don't you guys just sprint and there's like a few seconds of them being grossed out by the crickets. And Dr. Ian Malcolm's like, just run. And there's just like no tension. And they do that five billion times in the movie. There was a, an intense scene where Maisie Lockwood is, is climbing up a ladder. And the Tyrannosaurus Rex or the Gigantosaurus Rex or whatever... Um, bites on this tries to bite Maisie Lockwood but there's kind of like this barricade and it's kind of intense one of the rare good scenes in the movie and then it it ends up destroying the barricade and Maisie Lockwood um, climbs the rest up and then there's no like suspense like oh how are the others gonna climb up the ladder it's just this movie felt rushed it felt low effort. It felt like who cares. It felt like let's 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 just ca- grab the cash and run. And I know I've said it a billion times before, but I don't blame the actors. I just blame the writing. Maybe I blame the director. But again, he's a good director, so I don't. I, I, I this movie just baffled me. You know, so the seven of them. They end up back at Biosyn, I guess. Um, 
Lewis Dodgson is trying to escape. He tries to escape on the subway and the power gets shut down. And then he ends up getting attacked by those spitting dinosaurs. Um, so the seven of them are... Once again, this movie ends with a, a battle of apex predators. The Tyrannosaurus Rex versus the Gigantosaurus Rex. Which they did a similar thing in Jurassic World. Where it was... I forget the name... But it was a new species that trumped the Tyrannosaurus Rex that they created. And Claire released the Tyrannosaurus Rex in a really good scene. I love that scene where she's running with the the flare. And she brings the Tyrannosaurus Rex over to the... Should I look it up? I could hear the audience in the stadium going... Yeah, look it up. Look it up. Why did I say that? That was very dumb. I'm I'm embarrassed for saying that on the podcast. I should I should go back and delete that. Look it up. <laughs> um Of course, why would it be blue? Um Indominus, is that it? Indominus Rex? Yeah, Indominus. So they created a new um, species called Indominus Rex in Jurassic World. So the end of Jurassic World, spoiler alert, is a Tyrannosaurus Rex fighting the Indominus Rex. And then the gigantic water monster ends up killing. And I forget how Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom ended. But they do a similar thing here where the Jurassic the Tyrannosaurus Rex is fighting the, uh, is it the Gigantosaurus? Um, please just give it to me. I'm trying to entertain these people. Just fucking Gigantosaurus. Um, so at the end of this movie, it's just like Transformers. Like Transformers fighting and then people on the ground, hopeless and helpless, running around like puny little human turdlets and so it's the gigantosaurus fighting against the tyrannosaurus rex and then the tyrannosaurus rex rams the gigantosaurus into the huge nails (laughs) of i i don't know what that nail um i don't know what that nail dinosaur is is um oh therizonosaurus therizinosaurus um, so the Gigantosaurus ends up dying and then the Tyrannosaurus Rex roars or whatever. Um, and then the group, according to Wikipedia, the group escapes with Wu in a Biosyn helicopter. That's right. There's eight of them because they, Wu is like, I'm a good guy now. Please trust the Asian. Stop Asian hate. Okay. Um, two Wongs don't make a right. Two Wongs make a white. The group escapes with Wu in a Biosyn helicopter. To quote uh, Pat Walsh, can you na- can you name an an Asian character other than Wong and Wu? <laughs> it doesn't bother me, and I I know that there are people. 
I think his name is Benedict Wong in real life. So it's like, it's just a funny comment. Here's the last line of the plot summary of on Wikipedia. Ellie and El- Ellie and Ellen rekindle their relationship by fucking three times out in public before testifying al- <laughs> alongside Ian and Ramsey against Biosyn. Owen, Claire, and Maisie return home and reunite Beta with Blue. Wu manufactures and releases a pathogen to eradicate the locusts. Around the world, around the world, dinosaurs adapt to a new coexistence with humans while the United Nations declares Biosyn Valley a dinosaur sanctuary. You know, another weird trope used in this movie is the fake news reports and in this movie, it felt just kind of dumb and kind of a weird gimmick tactic. They did it at the beginning of the Street Fighter movie. They did it at the beginning of the Double Dragon movie. They did it. They did it at the beginning of. Oh Jesus Christ! They did it at the beginning of Spider-Man. Um, the second one that I can't remember the name. Something with home in it. I'm sure. Um, Spider-Man, Holmes, and Watson. Um, it's just kind of a weird trope to put into a movie at this point. Um, I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like much about this movie. Like I said, Chris Pratt, I usually hate. He was, he kind of downplayed his annoying personality. Actually, I, I liked him in that first Jurassic World movie because he wasn't quippy. He was kind of serious and he was, he was, he did well in the role and I, I liked him in this. I will fully admit that a lot of my hate for Chris Pratt, of course, is jealousy. It's not really fun to talk about because it's getting too much into the, my psyche. But if you, whenever you have an actor who does the same thing over and over again, and essentially you can get paid big money for being yourself, um, I get jealous because I couldn't possibly be less myself at my job. I work part time at an Amazon warehouse, and you know I can't be myself. I can't be racist and misogynistic at work, you know? That's, like, frowned upon. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? The reason why I like Jurassic World is because I liked the plot of them opening a new theme park, Jurassic World, and they want to have it be like a like a zoo or like a theme park where you can go around and look at dinosaurs like a zoo. But of course, it turns into a disaster movie where everything goes awry and you have to rescue a bunch of people. And there's still people in the park like getting attacked by dinosaurs. And that's that's very fun. That's cool. And a similar thing was done in Jurassic Park where... This guy kind of is resurrecting these dinosaur DNA, creating new dinosaurs. And you have this new gigantic theme park called Jurassic Park. And things go awry. And, you know, Jurassic... I have never seen the Jurassic Park sequels. Neither of them. Jurassic World Falling Kingdom is is not at a park. It's like Pat Walsh said, it's a haunted house with dinosaurs. 
And in, in this one, there's no theme park at all. It's a Biosyn technology facility. So it's like the fun in it for me is gone. The stakes in it for me is gone because I liked the theme park aspect of it. Um, and I, I guess, you know, they can't do the same thing three times over. But I'm just saying that's the reason why I like Jurassic Park a lot and Jurassic World because of that theme park aspect. And and here, there's no theme park. It's just a huge area with dinosaurs roaming. I, I don't know. It's just like all of the fun is gone just from the simple um, setting, you know. So... Uh, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, my wife just did not like the movie. She was bored. She didn't think it was fun. It's not interesting. Again, a large chunk of this movie is dedicated to mutated crickets or grasshoppers. Um, I don't know. I, I think it is a writing issue. I know I keep repeating myself, but I, I just can't get my head around it. You know, Colin's a good director. Colin wrote it with Emily Carmichael. Uh, I'm not too familiar with her work. Um, Derek Connolly. I've said this already. I'm retreading. I apologize. I just don't understand how the sixth movie in this franchise you could do so dirty. You could treat it with such absurdity and disrespect and scene to scene it's felt like a convoluted overstuffed mess um, the wikipedia summary it says it generally received negative reviews from critics who felt that the franchise had run its course you know i thought earlier i i read that it said they praised the performances i feel like someone edited that part out already um Look, there's a huge chunk that says the COVID-19 pandemic. So maybe, but I don't know, COVID, I can understand COVID having a, definitely a negative effect on your movie, but the the writing was bad in this movie. So like, how is COVID going to affect the writing? Let me look at some of this fucking dogs. Um, let me look at some of these reviews. The web's Rotten Tomatoes consensus reads, Jurassic Park World Dominion might be a bit of an improvement over its immediate predecessors in some respects. Uh, I disagree. But this franchise has lumbered a long way down from its classic start. Um, generally unfavorable reviews. It is the lowest rated film of the series on both websites. Um... Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune rated the film 2 out of 4 stars and wrote that Dominion was the weakest entry in the franchise, criticizing the dialogue and labeling Owen and Claire as thinly conceived. Writing for Rolling Stone, David Fear said that compared to the original Jurassic Park, Dominion feels like a contractual obligation at best and DOA, that means dead on arrival, attempt to write to wring one last drop out of an already depleted brand at worst. Variety stated, of the three Jurassic World movies, Dominion is the least 
silly and most entertaining but that's not saying much this stopped to ask if they should cycles humans human characters were never especially interesting and why should we trust trevorrow to suddenly make them so the jewish chronicle critic Lin- linda merrick rated the film two out of five stars and wrote overall and bar a few good performances dominion falls on almost all accounts by delivering a story that is too preposterous even for a franchise that has demanded that we suspend disbelief for the last three decades um I think that's all I got. Jurassic Park Future. Jurassic World Dominion concludes the second film trilogy and the storyline that began in the original trilogy. Although Marshall has not ruled out the possibility of the future films, in January 2022, he said, we are going to sit down and we're going to see what the future is. I think... I think this should be the nail in the coffin for this franchise. Um, I don't think they should make another one. You know, the first one is clearly the best. I I should watch the second and third one. Um, I like Jurassic World, but at this point, it's it's done. But you know that humans are terrible and stupid, so. The budget of was eight one hundred and eighty five million dollars, and the box office was eight hundred and thirty four million dollars. So, like, if a movie makes that much money, do you think do you think they're gonna do the common sense thing and not make another one? Of of course they're gonna make another one. Let me see highest grossing twenty twenty two films. Um, no, not number one films. Um, so this is the highest grossing films of 2022. Number one, Top Gun Maverick. Awesome. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Awesome. Jurassic World Dominion. Not awesome. That's number three in 2022. The Batman, awesome. The Battle at Lake Changjin 2, um, haven't seen it. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, very low interest. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, not awesome. Uncharted, Uncharted came out this year? Um, Uncharted, not bad. The Bad Guys, haven't seen it. Minions, The Rise of Gru, damn, that, that just came out. Um... July 1, uh, seven, six days ago. And it's already the 10th highest grossing film of 2022. I have a feeling they're going to make more movies in this franchise because, you know, if it, if it makes money, they're going to make more. Which which is kind of a bummer, you know. It kind of sucks because... But I, I don't know. I think they should end it. They should just end it. But they won't. They won't. They should... 
if they return to this, they need to get someone better than Trevorrow, I guess, or someone who cares. I don't know. I forget if I mentioned that I think that fans that fans who are rallying against the rise of Skywalker, they're probably relieved that Colin Trevorrow didn't get to make his movie because I think I I did say that. I did say that. My memory's terrible. Um by the way, they sh- they showed a bunch of trailers before the movie and let me try to recall some of them. There was one movie, I believe the title is Fall. And um, they don't really say any plot. It was a teaser, but it's ba- the camera is basically going upwards and upwards and upwards along this super tall, like, shadily, flakily made tower. And there was a person holding a rope and another person was tied to that rope and she lets go of the rope um and it's just called fall and then it says dropping soon i don't know it the panning of the camera going up 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 it it i almost i thought it was a cgi movie and I don't know. I I understand you need to be safe for every movie, but can you can you at least try to be some sort of creative with the film filmmaking techniques? Try to do something where it it looks real at least. Because when I know it's CGI, well it, when it's so CGI that it, it looks like a CGI movie, then the tension is all gone. Like when I clearly know that you're not a thousand feet up in the air and this is all CGI and, you know, I get it. I know that uh, Sandra Bullock probably wasn't in space while filming Gravity or maybe she was. I don't know. I know I understand you need to be safe, but can you, you know, that's why Superman was so badass because it was punk rock. They're trying they experimented in trying to use new film techniques, filmmaking techniques where you will believe a man can fly. I don't know. I think that movie was called Fall. Uh, No details were given on the plot. There was a movie that the only reason why I'm interested in it is because it said from the brilliant mind of George Miller. Of course, George Miller of Mad Max fame. And it looks like Tilda Swinton rubs some sort of genie lamp. And then Idris Elba comes out seemingly doing an Arab accent. I'm not sure. And he asks, like, what three wishes do you want? And it looks weird. It looks kind of interesting. If... If it wasn't made by George Miller, I probably wouldn't be interested. But because it is, I am slightly interested. Um, I can't think... There's there's this animated movie. It might as well be called The Karate Dog. Because it stars Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah as a karate dog and Samuel L. Jackson as Mr. Miyagi in dog form. 
Um, I couldn't tell you the title of it, the actual title, but basically it's The Karate Dog. And like, why? At this point in your careers or Michael Sarah's lack of a career, why would you make this movie? Why? Why? Um, it's basically Kung Fu Panda except dogs, you know, Kung, Kung Fu Dog, Karate Dog. Um, I can't think of any other trailer that we see. I, you know, I don't want to bring out my phone and make notes of the trailers I saw because that would be annoying. But that's all I got. Jurassic, Jurassic World Dominion. Is it worth watching? I don't know. It passed the time. And I didn't think it was terrible, terrible, or one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I just thought it was pretty bad, considering the money and the budget and the caliber of director and act actors that were in it. It was not, not, it was not good. Not great, not good. Um, if you like Final Fantasy VII, please check out youtube.com slash odddrummergaming. If you like drums and video games, please check out youtube.com slash drumj8. Um, thank you for listening. I hope this podcast finds you well. I hope you and your family and friends are doing well. Um, I hope you're not as depressed as I am. I hope you have more energy than I am. I hope you're doing well money-wise. Um, I hope you have jobs that are fulfilling and creative and not you're not just a paper pusher, pencil pusher. Um, thanks for listening. I hope your pets are well and thriving and healthy. And uh, by the way, Say hi to them for me.